from mega church pastor to executive coach to Fortune 50 leaders, you are going to love this topsy turvy story with Shane and his journey to entrepreneurship. Such an incredible light in education around leadership in our podcast interview today. You know, Shane historically has coached leaders in massive corporations, but I think you'll find today such incredible value, even for even the newest entrepreneur who's hiring their first or second person and the emotional aspect of leadership and how important it is. And he shares some incredible tips and tricks that maybe you can sidestep and avoid to maximize the revenue in your business by being a more effective leader. You know, Shane and I happen to have gotten to know each other in a mastermind that we both sought out and applied for and were accepted this past year. And the rest is history as far as our friendship and time in this amazingly cultivated community to network as entrepreneurs. So if you're listening to this and you're asking yourself, how can I surround myself with high energy entrepreneurs and high impact coaching with live experiential events to grow me personally and professionally to give you those quantum leaps in your business and in your network? You need to check out my unique Burnout to All Out Mastermind at burnouttoallout.co. Go check out the website, scroll down to the mastermind application and apply today. If you're looking to take our connection from ear on the podcast to an in-person year-long intensive with me and my master coaches in business mindset and the operations of an online business while also experiencing live events with your mastermind members, head over to my website today and get yourself at the front of the wait list. Our doors open to our mastermind on September 30th and we'll be reviewing applications now as they come in to then hop on a consult call. Now here's the deal. We're only taking 20 clients on to keep it super intimate and high vibe. And we have a large number of recurring mastermind members that stay in the program. So get your name in the hat and on the wait list now to see if you're a good match. Hey friend, Melissa Hinault here with the Burnout to All Out podcast. I'm a former multiple six-figure executive corporate burnout, feeling stuck in the life I built for myself. But using my corporate skills, I took to the internet and have built multiple six and seven-figure businesses, showing others how they can build a life they love. Now on this podcast, I share stories of being an entrepreneur, a mom to my three amazing kids, and wife to my wonderful and supportive husband who supports all my wild and crazy dreams. My journey is taking grit and persistence and belief. And believe me, I'm still a work in progress that you may witness in real time. Whether it's in our free burnout to all out Facebook community or inside my mastermind or even in my coaching programs or maybe just right here on the podcast. I'm laughing and I'm crying with you. I've become a serial entrepreneur with a passion to inspire more burnouts, to take the leap of faith and go all out and live out their dreams. Consider me your mentor in your head and on the go. So let's get started. Yay. All right. We have Shane Hips today here, you guys. I am so excited 
to have Shane as our podcast guest today on the Burnout to All Out show. So Shane, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you, Melissa. Yes, absolutely. So quick background before we dive in. First of all, Shane and I happen to be in the same mastermind that we dove into early this year. Yes, it's been such a joy and pleasure being a part of that community with you and growing alongside you in that group. So excited to bring your zone of genius here today to my audience for a number of different reasons of which we'll unpack in a little bit. But before we get started, Shane, really quick for our live listeners over on YouTube and LinkedIn, I want to give you guys a little background or on Shane and why you want to tune in all the way through. So Shane has got this unique perspective. I'm just excited to unpack, but let me give you a little bit about his background. Shane is a former megachurch pastor turned executive coach to Fortune 50 leaders. He has served senior executives, and world-renowned organizations such as Apple, Amazon, Samsung, the CIA, U.S. Army, and the U.S. Air Force. For more than 20 years, he's impacted tens of thousands of leaders through his writing, coaching, and speaking. He's the number one best-selling author of five books, his latest co-written with the legendary business coach Brian Tracy. And Shane has shared the stage with luminaries like Simon Sinek, Jim Collins, and John Maxwell. So you guys are going to want to Grab your pen and paper and learn from this amazing human who's leading the way and leading leaders across this country and the globe. And I think that it all starts, Shane, with your previous experience in your former past life, which is where I'd really like to start the story. Can we start there? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I started, uh, I actually started my career in advertising marketing. I did advertising for like Porsche and other brands like that. And then eventually I did what all ad people do. I went to seminary and got a master's of divinity, which is easily the most overstated degree you could ever have. Like I'm a master of the divine. So if you have any questions about the divine, apparently I know all the answers. <laughs> and then I was a pastor of a Mennonite church of about 300 people in Phoenix. And then became a pastor of a, what we call a mega church, a church of, I don't know, between six and 8,000 people and about 20 to 30,000 that would listen online around the world. Okay. So that's, so that that's is where it started. So incredible. Okay. And you just kind of like, just, it's so understated. You just went from 300 to 8,000 in congregation from like one gig to the next. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oddly enough, what happened was I was at the time, actually, while I was in seminary, I was writing a book and published a book that is now still used in seminaries for church leaders. And it's uh, it's called The Hidden Power of Electronic Culture. And then later I, I wrote another version that was more general called The Flickering Pixels, How Technology Shapes Your Faith. And those two books got noticed and I ended up on kind of a speaking tour all over the country. And that's where I ended up serving lots and lots of leaders and speaking on lots of stages. And because of that, I got noticed by a dear friend who who's now very much a dear friend, a guy named Rob Bell, who had read my book, who had founded this very large church, and they were looking for someone. He was beginning to transition out, and they were looking for someone else. And so the more we spent time together, the more we realized there was a real fit there, and we just saw the world in a similar way. And so I joined that church there. Yeah, it is an odd. Most people don't go to like the feeder market is not usually small Mennonite churches for mega church pastors. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. It's such an incredible story. And and it's no small feat. There's one thing I read a while ago, and maybe it was in a John Maxwell book around leadership. 
And it talked about some of the most powerful, influential leaders in the world are in religion and network marketing. And it's because people aren't paid. They don't have a career where they're reporting to someone who was paid for them to follow their direction. You know, people in religion, and I, I hate to make the direct tie to direct sales, but this was his analogy is that when someone chooses to follow your word, when someone chooses to follow your guidance on a weekly basis with no strings attached versus the leaders in corporate America, me included in a Fortune 500, people did what I asked them to do because they reported to me and they like their paycheck was dependent upon, you know, my perception of their performance. Now, obviously there's great and bad leaders in corporate regardless. And we'll talk about that as we get into your zone of genius in leadership. But I think that, you know, it's understated to say you went from leading a congregation of 300 to 8,000. I can't imagine the personal growth and leadership growth it took for you <laughs> to take that leap. And clearly you are wildly successful at it or you wouldn't be where you are today is a highly sought after leadership coach for leaders who are leading the Fortune 50s, right? So I'd love to know, what were the growing pains, first of all, of you know going to leading a congregation of 8,000, which obviously set you up for the future of where you are today? But can you speak a little bit to the early growing pains of being kind of cherry-picked for this role, having this mass congregation, and the ripple effect and leadership that you had in that community that really set you on a trajectory for where you are today? Yeah. I, so one of the biggest things that happened over the course of that journey was I made critical mistakes and learned really hard lessons. And that's part of the reason why I'm effective with leaders today is that I'm not just somebody who studied this or went to school for it or was a therapist and knows how to help people. And it's some, I lived it in really big, hard ways. And so the big first lesson I learned when I was at a smaller church from a leadership standpoint was that I learned that I had, you know, of 300 people, I had 300 bosses and a lot of people wanted me to be different things. And I became a bit of a chameleon and I basically burned myself out trying to become all things to all people. So then I, I sort of learned that hard lesson. I was like, no, I've just got to be who I am. I've got to accept that some people aren't going to like it and I just got to be who I am. And that's life. Right. So then I go to the mega church and I show up and within two months, we lose 500 people as a direct result of my preaching. <laughs> Not because I was a boring preacher, but because the words I was using was scaring people. Now, I had no idea. And I remember people telling me like, oh, people aren't liking this. I'm like, well, whatever. Such is life. Got to be who I am. Tough luck. And then <laughs> the elders <laughs> weren't getting true to me. So they asked the chairman of the board of a Fortune 100 company who was at that church to meet with me. And he sat down with me and he told me like, okay, so... Shane, let me try to help you understand this. You have a couple of choices. You can either reinvent yourself as a communicator and try to reestablish your credibility because your people are scared of you now, or you can go, we can help you find some work elsewhere. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's really good and clear direction. Maybe I should reinvent myself as a communicator. So that's what I did. I went about like trying to figure out what were the language patterns, the words that I was saying weren't translating. And so when they'd ask me questions, you know, and they could clarify, they're like, yeah, you're not scary, but something about the way you communicate is not working. And that's when I learned this unbelievably powerful lesson that leadership is ultimately about language, that all you have are the words you use. And we can get into more details later, but that was kind of the big learning there. So first learning was the learning of the self, which is, do I need to adapt or do I need to entrench? And as a leader, yes, the answer is yes. And the real question is, 
You need to be able to do both at different times and you're going to get it wrong a lot. And so that was the big first lesson. The second big lesson was around language. And fortunately, I did turn it around and people, <laughs> the church was okay. And we settled down and I reestablished credibility, but it was a very intense, difficult thing. And I've helped lots of leaders do that ever since. Now, the other last thing I'll say is when I was at this big church, I started getting contacts by CEOs from different parts of the world. And they had been listening to the podcast and they wanted to talk. And at the time I was like, I'm not entirely sure I know what I can help you with because I've never run a big corporation. I've run a big church. And so as we talked, I realized that A, running a corporation is operationally more complex than a church by a factor of a thousand. But I also realized that as they were talking to me, they didn't need help with business problems or operations or any of that. They had lots of experts. They were leading people. They were managing humans. And what I quickly realized as we talked was running and leading a church is emotionally more complex by that same factor of a thousand than any organization that I have helped in ever since, including government, intelligence, military, nonprofit, for-profit, big company, small company. I have never encountered the same level of emotional and human complexity in a, in any other kind of organization other than the church. And because of that, it was like I had these abilities that I didn't know I had. And I went from playing like three-dimensional chess to checkers. And I was like, well, if you just consider this, this, and this, they were like, that's like a wizard. I'm like, that's not a wizard. That's just like all these hard one lessons. And so there you go. That's kind of the big thing. And that, that began my transition out of the church increasingly was just this sense of I was being able to make a really big impact in the corporate world and, and beyond. So, so good. Okay. So, so many things here. I want to unpack where you came to the realization that there was some personal development that needed to happen for you from a language standpoint to, you know, kind of change the direction of your career in that congregation, which is like telltale sign of an entrepreneur of like constant learning, constant growth of just continuous improvement. So I'm curious. In that first initial step, like what were some of the things you did or any resources? Like how did you dive into kind of assessing your linguistics or how you were communicating that took you on the trajectory of impact in, you know, how you communicate today? Yeah. So as a, as a preacher for a number of years and as a writer, I already knew that language is incredibly powerful and really important. What I didn't understand is that each new context, even though the context didn't look that different, requires a period of learning, a period of asking really good questions. I wasn't asking questions. I came in in broadcast mode, not in sonar mode. So I would say that anytime you're leading in a new context, you'll want to dial up that sonar quite a bit early on so that you can really detect and sense and hear what are those language patterns that seem to mean something to people. And this is true in every organization and every industry. There are like buzzwords that mean something that have like an efficiency that create efficiency. So when I say a certain word in a creative environment in a particular industry and I say that's uh, that's really radical thinking, we all know exactly what that means. Whereas in engineering community, that radical thinking wouldn't mean much. Other things mean something. And so the point is just that a lot of it was just about, I didn't know the importance of the sonar. And it was that guy who kind of woke me up and was like, start asking better questions, my man. So when I went to the next context where I became ultimately, a, I was an entrepreneur for a little while, and then I was asked to join a company, a billion dollar real estate development company as a chief leadership officer. And I was there for a number of years. And again, I had to do the exact same thing all over again. I'm like, 
I thought I was really, I thought I had learned this. What is going on? Why do I have to relearn this again and again and again? And that was, again, it's just super helpful for me. So now I'm just on high alert that like there is no such thing as I've got it figured out. And so I really, really encourage everybody to be in the state of the beginner's mind that even though I've got 20 plus years of quote unquote expertise and leadership development, I also love entering a new context from a place of the beginner's mind, lots of curiosity rather than certainty and the potential that I, I really haven't been here before, even though I've seen it many, many times, mm-hmm. that pattern recognition is helpful, but it can also be a, a limit because you're, you, you lack some like curiosity. Oh, I love that. Curiosity is everything. And I never really thought about this, what you underscored of just like, and this is what I'm gathering from your statement is that leading a congregation, it's such a heterogeneous population of personalities, which must be very different than leading kind of a corporate team, corporate culture that is obviously there's different personalities, but not nearly the level of complexity of leading a congregation, right? What actually makes it most complex is that in a community of faith, you are only allowed to have certain conversations above the line. And what's below the line, which is our actual humanity, is not admitted as part of the conversation. So what that means is every conversation, there are two conversations happening all the time. There's one below the line you're not allowed to have openly. And then there's the one above the line. So I'll give you an example. One example is somebody says, I really want to do this thing or serve in this way because Jesus is really, I want to serve Jesus. But I know, and everybody else in the room knows that what they're really doing is they want to kind of get revenge on this person that really ticked them off earlier. And they're not allowed to admit that they have that feeling or emotion or thought, right? So these these underlying human needs and desires that in the church context, you're really suppressed. And so you end up playing chess with like multiple angles and there's all this weird social stuff going on. There's weird power dynamics that you don't know in the corporate world where like, well, I'm the pastor and I'm there at your funeral. I'm there baptizing. I'm there. I'm there at your wedding. But then you're also my boss because you pay for the church. And so I need to make sure that I do what you, there is this huge complexity in leadership in a church. Then the corporate world, when I sat down with people and tried to help them figure out what to do, they're like, I want money, power and influence. You're like, sweet. <laughs> wow. So we're just going to lay our cards on the table is what you're saying. Okay. Like well, that. <laughs> like, there you go. This is easy now. Right. So that is actually the biggest difference. And it's a subtlety that only candidly church leaders would probably be able to hear me and go, Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. We, we know that world. Uh, yeah. So that's, it's not about heterogeneity. There's lots of the same thing, really diverse personalities, but in business contexts, there's a cleaner and a simpler way to have those conversations. I see. Okay, I'm glad we clarified, and that makes total sense. Okay, <laughs> so good. All right, so let's start talking about the pivot then from where you were as a pastor to getting into entrepreneurship. And when did you know that you knew that you were on this trajectory of you know becoming psychologically unemployable, that you were working for yourself yep. moving forward? Like, What did that look like for you? Yeah. And probably the first big thing was in the church context, what started to happen was in any leadership position, if you get more than two or three clicks out in front of your team or people, you get mistaken for the enemy. And so what was happening was I was going through my own growth and evolution theologically, personally, spiritually, such that I I was no longer bound by some of the containers that the church needed me to be bound by. And so the things, the issues that they wanted me to care about, I wasn't against. I just didn't care that much because I was having 
deeper, more profound experiences of my own faith. And so I couldn't get the kind of structure back around me. It no longer fit me. And so I could continue to posture as if it did, which I did for a while. But over time, you start to feel a kind of tearing at yourself, like a little bit of a breach of integrity, where you're like, look, I, I know how to pantomime that I this matters to me, but deep down it doesn't. And so if I'm going to live with a little more integrity, I probably can't keep serving this community because the community needed to stay there. And that I wasn't judging the community needing to do that. I just knew I wasn't a good fit to lead it. So I went to the elders and basically said, hey, look, long term, this isn't going to work for me. I'll stick around until you find somebody new. And then I got to go do my own thing. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew I couldn't fit in that anymore. And probably the biggest stretch for me, and this may be different for your listeners or viewers, that maybe they don't have this issue, but because I was in a church context, money was always viewed as something that was to be given away, not something to be made or earned. And so there was quite a big journey for me to go from like, I'd go sit down with these leaders in these companies and I could, with a few interventions, with very little effort, create millions and millions of dollars for them or save them millions and millions of dollars. And then they'd pay me a very small amount. And I'm like, something feels off here. And so (laughs) I had to do a lot of mindset work around like, wait a minute, I'm delivering enormous amounts of value and everybody else is being paid for their value. I'm not. So there was a, there was a kind of a mindset around money that was like, it's okay to make lots of money. (laughs) If you're creating lots of value, there is no limit to the amount of money you're allowed to make. And that was a really big leap in learning for me because I'd spent so long in that context. So good. And I would say, given that I, I am a PharmD by trade, I have a number of healthcare providers who are in the entrepreneurial realm, Shane. And it's interesting because out of all my kind of followers and folks that I mentor, I find that healthcare providers struggle with the whole money mindset as well because their main focus is curing and healing people. And they have a hard time overcoming raising their fees for service because They've lived in service for so long. I'm curious for you, what was it? Was there anything specific from a money mindset standpoint that you honed in on or anything specific that really worked well for you in that journey? Yeah, the first thing that I had to get through was some theological stuff that I won't bore your listeners too much with, but it was effectively like Jesus would say, it's easier for a rich man to pass through the eye of the needle than it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. So you already have this like, oh my gosh, a rich man comes to him. What must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? Give away all your possessions and come and follow me. You're like, well, I guess that's it. Money's bad. We're done. And you you forget all the other, there are tons of other verses that, that right. counteract that. And so one was theological. I just had to get through this point of like, wait a minute, the nature of God and this universe is abundance by its nature. Just look at nature. Everything about it is abundant. We have water and clean air and all these things for free. Nobody charges us. The earth just generates this in in incredible abundance. So that was one really big thing was just getting over that abundance, that internal sense of I'm not supposed to, or it's supposed to be this, or if I get something that's selfish, had to get over all that. The second big thing that helped me, honestly, and in my context, it was just simply I was just able to be clear-eyed about exactly what value I knew I was creating. And once I was clear-eyed about that, I would just go out and say, look, I know I can add a minimum 10x whatever I charge you, most likely 20x within 12 months. Within three years, it's exponential beyond that. So I think this is a pretty small, tiny amount of money compared to the value that I'm going to give you. It's still fair for me. It's a fair value. It's something I'm willing. And so once I got my head around, oh, this is everything I do, I need to think about 
if I could 10x this for them, what would that be financially for them? And then I'll reverse engineer from that and say, this is the value I know I can create for you. And I can link it. I actually can show them exactly where that can work. So it's not just some fantastical, like, I think it's millions, right? It's not. Right. So that was the second big thing was just realizing there's just the mechanics of business and value exchange that I wasn't participating in in a way that had integrity in the other direction. I was giving away too much and that lacks integrity also. So there you go. That's how. So good. So good. And so from there, overcoming the money story that you were telling yourself and diving into entrepreneurship, you found yourself consulting Fortune 50s, these top companies, being on stage with people like John Maxwell. And, you know, the rest is history. What I would love to do is really unpack some of your zones of genius when it comes to leadership. I know one of the things that's really on a lot of people's minds right now is how to attract and retain top talent in the midst of recognition. I know that my husband and I were just having this conversation as he's a a leader in in a company where he's like never seen so much turnover with people just, you know, hopping from one career to the next. We're seeing it all over the place. So in this global, you know, in this world of where we are with the great resignation, and can you give us some insight for leaders who are leading businesses right now? What can they do to attract key talent? And then what can they do to keep that key talent from, you know, jumping over the fence somewhere else. Yeah, so most of you probably know, if you don't, it's affecting big corporations far more than it's affecting smaller entrepreneur-run businesses, but it will start to affect them too. The biggest giant shift was COVID. Everybody realized, oh my gosh, I don't have to work this way anymore. And then the other big shift was this. You know, uh, in 2008, when everything fell apart, we didn't have that. And now we have the ability to make money with my car in Toro. You know, like the number of gig economy options that I can make a good 60 to 100 grand a year and be my own boss. Why wouldn't I just do that? So that's really what you're competing against when you're hiring people. So if you are a business owner or a business leader, it doesn't matter whether you've got a team of five or 5,000, you're still trying to attract and retain the best people to work for you, your organization and your mission. So that's the, the objective. I don't care what scale you're at. And the good news is the scale doesn't matter for the solutions. The tools are a little different, but the solution is basically the same. And here's the operating underlying things for everything. Over all of the 20 plus years and all the organizations that I've worked in, there is only one repeating pattern that I see over and over and over again. And that repeating pattern is this. 80% of behavior and decision-making in a team or organization is governed by what I call the emotional system. 80% of behavior is governed by this system. The emotional system is defined very simply as how I feel about the work I'm doing and how I feel about the people I work with. That is where it all lives. So organizations and companies and businesses that have a deep understanding of that emotional system and the levers that influence it will always outperform those that don't understand it. And there are two ways that people tend to engage in the emotional system, whether they call it that or not, it doesn't matter. Everybody kind of knows it's there, but it's, it's a little bit of an afterthought. It's like, that's HR's thing. HR will handle that. That's like a human thing. Uh, no, no, this is at the core of every conversation you have. Every word you speak, every word you don't speak, every decision you make will have a direct impact on that emotional system and it will ripple. And so the question is, how do you become fluent 
in the tools that move that emotional system. And that's what I've built my career mastering are those tools. And I'll give you one in a minute. But I just want to kind of flag for everybody. That's the big moment. That's where if you can dig into that, you will outperform your competitors. You will attract and retain the best talent because you understand something very few other leaders do. Uh, so I'll pause there. Does that make sense? Questions about that? No, it makes total sense. I'm wondering if you can give us an example. Yeah, happy to. There are so many to think of, but in the simplest terms, let's say you and I are working together and you're my boss and uh, you say something to me in a meeting that kind of embarrasses me. It's an offhanded comment. You're not even thinking about it. And it kind of embarrasses me. Well, in that moment, I might begin to distance myself from you. I might feel and now interpret every behavior after that, even though you didn't mean anything. I'll see it through the lens of Melissa doesn't really respect me. She doesn't really like me that much. And so each word you say after that is now compounding on top of it because you didn't understand the power of your words to create a new emotional system for that person. Now, the really good news is whatever offhanded comment might have been made, that can be repaired very, very easily once you know it exists. That's just one example of thousands that I see over and over again, where people will just not understand the power of their language and their words. And the other second I'll say is some people are over attuned to the emotional system. They're so connected to it that they can't navigate the stormy waters. And so they just kind of get bandied about. That's exactly what happened to me when I started as a pastor. I was deeply connected to the emotional system so much so that I lost my own rudder and I was just drifting about and people are like, oh my gosh, this guy make a decision. I don't care if he's going to upset us. I just want a decision, right? So I'm like, well, I want to go there and make sure everybody's okay. So that's one extreme. The other extreme is totally oblivious. People just walk around going, what? You have your job, your accountability, your responsibility, and you're paid. What else is there? Go do your job. Why are we having more time? All this time consuming conversations. Why? So there you go. That's one example. That is so good. Okay. So let's, um, I want to, at the sake of like beating a dead horse, I'd love to go down this avenue for a second and talk about like the scenario. How do you toe the line between giving constructive feedback for an employee who needs to make some changes in a way that doesn't disrupt that emotional container in a way that is received that particular employee or staff member? doesn't feel as though they're targeted or that you don't approve of them. Do you have any feedback on that? Yeah. So there's a whole lot of work I do in a program I run called the Next Level Leader Program that really unpacks all of this in in the nuance that's required. So I'll give you a couple of high level things. What, what is difficult about this kind of conversation is it's always better when there's something really specific, when there's like, hey, I have this person who's saying this to me and they're in this role and this is the context, then I can guide people. But in general terms, what I'll always start with is meta comments are really helpful. So a meta comment is a comment about a comment, right? That's what meta means about, right? So where I would say to you, if I knew there was something I need to confront you on or talk about, meta comment is simply, let's say it's something that's been confusing for me. I've repeatedly asked you to do something. You're not doing it. I would simply say, hey, Melissa, we need to have a conversation about something that's been really confusing for me. And it's related to me trying to get information from you and I haven't been getting it. Are you up for that conversation? Now, what I've done is I've just prepped the conversation before I actually have it. And the other thing I did after the meta comment was I asked permission. Now, this may sound really strange. 
when you're the boss. If I'm the boss, I don't need to ask permission. I can give you feedback. There's something so powerful when you say, hey, there's a conversation that needs to happen. What you're doing there is you're allowing the emotional system to disengage the clutch. So you know you're going to change gears now. Then when you ask permission, you ask them to re-engage the gear. So you say, is that a conversation you're up for? Is this a good time for that? What I've now done is I've empowered you in a moment when most of the time people don't have empowerment in the corporate world, just a micro choice you've been given. And when you say the word yes, you are energetically shifting what's going on in you that you're now more open to the conversation. So two very, very simple. There's a lot more that we can go into, but those are two really, really simple things that I highly recommend. Think about a meta comment. Meta comment can be, how does this feel for me coming into this conversation? Like, hey, Melissa, we got to have a conversation. I'm candidly, I've been like stressed about it. It's the stressful thing for me. It shouldn't be hard for you, but it's been stressful for me because I haven't known where to start. Suddenly you're like, okay, Shane's stressed. He doesn't know where to start. I'm like, what's going on? You're like, are you up for a conversation where I can just figure out what we need to talk about. Is that something you're up for? Yes. You know what? I've done this before where someone said, no, not right now. I'm in a bad place. I'm like, no problem. Perfect. Yeah. Then you know, energetically, it's the wrong time. Shane, this is so valuable for so many. What I've seen over the past two or three years and the folks that I mentor, it's a lot of people come into entrepreneurship with no leadership background whatsoever. And they're like a bull in a china shop when it comes to staffing. And so I know that nugget right there just provided tremendous value for a lot of my listeners who are new to leading people. I really appreciate that. So good. Well, I know we just have a few minutes left. I'm not sure how much we can unpack here, but maybe out of, I know that you speak to the three leadership keys to build a self-managing team. Maybe you can speak to just one and then we can kind of, you know, wet the palate for people to come find you to learn more about what you have to offer. I, I can actually quickly reference all three because oh, we've already awesome. talked about a lot of them. So, but the first key is this, and it's, it's directly related to what you just said. The first key is this. Managing and leading people has as large a body of knowledge as finance, engineering, marketing, accounting, all of them have. The higher you get in an organization, the less your job is the thing that got you where you are. And the more your job is now this new body of knowledge called management and leadership. And what that means is, It is incumbent upon you, if you manage people, to begin to master that art form as much as you did whatever art form you mastered to get where you are now. And that's my specialty. So that's the thing that I encourage people to do. I'm not the only one who does it. Lots of people out there do it. But make sure you learn how to do management because it will make your life so much easier and your employees' lives so much better and you're going to make way more money. That is where all of the leverage comes from. So that's point one. Point two, understand the emotional system recognize it's real and begin to learn the tools. I'm going to give you one of the main tools and that's the third key. So first key, you got to learn this stuff. Second key, understand the incredible power of the emotional system. Third key is the power of language. I'm going to give you one simple example. And I do this in my program with lots of examples, but let's say I'm in a meeting and you say something I don't agree with in front of people and I'm the boss and you're not. And I say, I completely disagree with you. I think we should do blah, 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 blah. That phrase, I completely disagree with you, can immediately shut down and throw sand in the gears of the system. That's where it disrupts the emotional system. You can burn 10 hours of productivity. The person can feel shut down. They won't respond. They won't give you information. There's all kinds of things that happen that most leaders don't realize. 
all a leader would have to do is use what I call a switch. And I literally have like the 10 most common switches of what to say instead. And the switch is, I think about that differently, tell me more. Now all I've done is I've signaled I'm different than you and I've invited conversation. One is a wall, the other is a bridge. And that bridge has nothing to do with the content of that conversation. It's irrelevant, whatever you're talking about. What you did is you created a whole new emotional system that will build trust in the system. So good. Okay, say that one more time. I think about that differently than you. I think about that differently. Tell me more. Tell me more. I think about that differently. Tell me more. So good. My gosh. Yeah. Shane, I could listen to you for hours uh, coming from corporate leadership myself. Like, I love all of this. Doesn't yeah. have to be. If you manage people, this is the deal. Oh, 100%. 100%. But I will say that learning and going through leadership training in corporate has really helped me in my entrepreneurial space. Obviously, there's continual blind spots as leaders that we're constantly working on. But I can say that I think that having very deep training and leadership prior to getting into entrepreneurship was huge. And so I love the validity of what you said about the importance of leadership. If you're going to run a business, no matter how big or small, you need to focus in on it and work your craft just as much as you do accounting or HR or any of those things. So with that, Shane, where can people find you? Okay, so recommendations I have. One is just uh, shanehips.com. And there's another one, which is where you can actually go deeper on the three keys. So I have a free training if anyone wants it. You can go to NLL, which just stands for Next Level Leader. NLL.ShaneHips.com. Awesome. And is that like evergreen ongoing or does it have a start stop? Yep. So it was there. It's always available. So if people want to get access to that training, they could ask free training. And then um, from there, if somebody wants, they can call with me. But the free training is there for you if you need it just on that term alone. Awesome. Shane, thank you so much. appreciated this. And I can't wait to see you in Beverly Hills in a couple of months. Absolutely. Melissa, such a pleasure. It's so good to be with you. And I'm so excited what you're doing in the world. So we are all behind here cheering for you. Oh, awesome. Well, we'll see you soon. Okay. Thanks a lot. All right. right, Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Burnout to All Out podcast. For free resources, materials, or information on my coaching services, go ahead over to livethefreelife.co. That's livethefreelife.co. Or check out our Facebook community at Burnout to All Out. And make sure you follow Burnout to All Out on Spotify and subscribe to iTunes. And it would truly mean the world to me if you paused for just a second, gave me that five-star review of the show, and be sure to share this episode with any burnouts you think would be inspired to go all out after hearing this episode.